Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, brought to you by Canon Plus. This week's episode is a sermon from the series Philemon, the Application of the Covenant by Yuri Brito. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to check out the full series now available on Canon Plus. Time out for the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our nearest kinsman, Jesus Christ, our deliverer. Amen. Please be seated. It is wonderful to be back. Greetings from the saints of Igreja de Cristo in Porto Alegre, Brazil. Lord willing, next year they will be here worshiping with us on Sunday morning. People of God, we are ten weeks from the end of the church year and the beginning of the Advent season. We are not there yet. There's a lot of traveling to do before arriving at the pearly gates of the new church calendar. We have made a lot of progress throughout this Pentecost season. We have considered various basic theological doctrines that are unique to the life of the church and particularly to our Reformed heritage. And what we have done in these past few weeks is we have parked on the theme of covenant. We have parked on the theme of covenant. And I wanted to focus on covenant because it is very central to who we are as a Reformed congregation, but also because covenant ties the Bible together. It glues everything. It's the ingredient that is needed to make sense of the great feast that God prepares for us in His holy revelation. We can find this covenant theme everywhere in the Bible, but if we look carefully, there are certain places where this theme is made very explicit for the reader of the sacred scriptures. This little book of Philemon that we begin studying this morning is one of those places. And so my goal these next few weeks is to bring out these covenant themes in Philemon while offering an overview of this delightful and beautiful letter. Unlike Paul's great letter to the Romans, which contained over 9,700 words, this book, this little letter of Philemon is composed of a mere 335 words. But don't let this lead you to believe that more words equal more truth, or more words equal more beauty. Because we know that when words are used wisely and sparingly, They can communicate great truth, great beauty to the people of God. Uh, Suffice to say, fewer words can make a point that a thousand words sometimes cannot make. And it is in the brevity of Philemon that there is also a directness to this short letter. A shorter time, of course, requires you to get to the point quicker, right? And this is the kind of counseling by fire we see in this little letter here. In these 25 verses we may get the impression that there's nothing more than a letter asking something to be done, but there is, there is so much more than that. We find in this little book a structure that is soaked, immersed in biblical grace, immersed in biblical covenant. And so my hope is that by the end of this short series, we will see clearly not only the structure of Philemon, but who the structure points to. Now, one very quick note to make here from the outset is that though there aren't many words in this letter, every word is very carefully placed in this letter by the Apostle, crafted by the hands 
of Paul, inspired by the great third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. So while we may not have time to dissect everything here in this little letter, there is much more than first meets the eye. So let's consider the book of Philemon this morning. Philemon, as I've said, though it is only a short letter, it is not an isolated letter, which is an important consideration for us as we contemplate the themes of the covenant, is that the biblical books are not given to by the Holy Spirit in isolation. They are very much connected to the larger narrative of the Bible. The themes we see here are actually themes we see also in the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians, and in the prophetic writings. For instance, we know for a fact that this is not the first time that the Apostle Paul is stressing the idea of reconciling slaves and two masters. But it is indeed the very first time that he is dedicating an entire letter to that particular theme, the theme of reconciliation. There is a common thread, there's a common theme here that unites all of these Pauline letters, and the common theme is the theme of the covenant. And what we are saying as a church when we contemplate these matters is that when we use the language of the covenant, we are saying specifically that God is intimately connected to His people. To be in covenant with God means to be intimately connected to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one God as we profess in the Shema this morning. Now we have defined in previous week the theme of covenant, the concept of covenant, as a bond in structure. A covenant is a bond in structure. God is creator of heaven and the earth. He rules over all people, over all created things, every creeping thing, everything that has breath is required to praise Yahweh. But not only does God have authority over all animals and creatures, God has chosen by His good pleasure to enter into a covenant with His chosen people. And by entering into covenant with us, what God does is He transfers us from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light, to an environment where only chaos succeeds, to an environment where grace and truth can be experienced by the believing saint. This is something unique to the Christian church. The unbeliever cannot experience the environment of grace and truth. He does not have ears to hear the grace and truth of the Gospel. He cannot see the beauty of Jesus the Messiah. So covenant is this extraordinary commitment that the triune God makes to come and to be near His people. To come and to renew His covenant with His people. It is a special bond, a relationship between God and His beloved. Now what is the context of Philemon here? What is happening in Philemon? In Philemon, if you know this letter quite well, and I assume most of you do, what is happening right from the beginning is the Apostle Paul takes on this unique role as mediator. He is the mediator in this letter to Philemon here. He is coming between these two estranged parties, and he is establishing the principles of the covenant as the means of bringing together these embittered parties here, these strange, estranged individuals, namely Philemon and Onesimus, as we'll see in future weeks. Paul is going to make a case for why reconciliation is an act, 
is an exercise that Philemon ought to contemplate deeply in light of the covenant promises that God has made. And the way the Apostle Paul does this, very simply throughout this letter, is that he acts and he imitates the Lord of the covenant, namely Jesus Christ. He does this beautifully throughout this letter, as we will see. The other thing we'll see in Philemon is that Paul is taking upon himself this mediatorial role. He's taking upon himself this role of advocacy on behalf of the weak. He is acting, he's imitating Christ by assuming the role of Christ in both his words and in his actions. Paul is the imitator par excellence of Jesus Christ. And so this is why his example is so unique for us. And this is why he can say so boldly, imitate me as I imitate Jesus the Messiah. Paul is being Christ-like. And in this Christ-likeness, he's going to play a fundamental role in restoring, rebuilding, redeeming, and reforming this broken relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon is a covenant letter. Have I said that enough? And this shouldn't surprise you because the apostles are deeply dependent on the covenant structure of the prophets to write their letters. And once you drink deeply of this theme of the covenant, you're going to see it everywhere. Look, there's the covenant. Look, there it is. Instead of squirrels, you're going to be seeing covenants everywhere. You're going to be seeing them in every jot and tittle of sacred scriptures. It's there. It is there. You cannot deny it. The theme is set out so beautifully at times that only the spiritual blind cannot see this truth. So put on very briefly this morning your covenant glasses and understand just a bit more of the grace of the gospel that is found in Philemon. That It will help you to develop a better understanding of how God works through His promises, through His covenant in history, and in this particular situation of Philemon Onesimus. And most certainly, in the beauty of reconciliation that takes place when the people of God come to eat and drink together in the name of Jesus Christ, our covenant Lord. We have said in previous weeks, as we define the covenant, that a covenant has five central features. We're going to look, children, this is in your outline this morning, the covenant has five central features. And the first theme of the covenant, the first idea, the first characteristic of the covenant the only one we'll look at this morning is the idea of identification. That is very much emblematic, that encapsulates this theme. It is identification. It is the very first theme and feature that we see in the covenant structure. Let's consider this theme here in the first three verses of Philemon this morning, which we read once more. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Right from the beginning, something that is very typical of Pauline letters, the Apostle Paul identifies himself. He identifies himself as the one who will speak on behalf of God, who will speak the wisdom of God to those who are in need to hear it, he identifies himself here in Philemon specifically as a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul is a master communicator. In fact, Paul uses many puns in Philemon. You should try to say that a few times. Paul uses puns in Philemon. 
In verse 1, he actually uses this double meaning to speak of his identification, a very interesting feature that we overlook as we consider the very first verse. Because Paul, he is enslaved to his captors. We know that. Paul is imprisoned here. But Paul also says he's not only enslaved to his captors, he is enslaved to Christ Jesus. He is imprisoned in Rome, but Paul knows that is not the fundamental imprisonment of his life. The most beauteous imprisonment of his life is his captivity to Jesus Christ. Jesus has arrested Paul with his love. And so to be a prisoner for Paul is a calling. And it is a glorious calling. Because here in verse 1, Paul is not just a prisoner of Jesus Christ, as the language can simply indicate. But the text says here, at least in the ESV, we can also translate that Paul says he is a prisoner for Jesus Christ. You see, the call of the gospel is a call to be a slave, a servant of, and for someone else. The paradox of the gospel is that you are most free when you are most enslaved to Jesus. The paradox of the gospel is that you are most free when you are most enslaved to Jesus. And Paul's letter is a lesson in utter humility, a truthful lesson for the people of God. This is indeed, brothers and sisters, a very short, but yet an extremely confrontational message that Paul is saying. And the letter raises the question, most conspicuously, how do we deal with conflict? This is the idea that Paul is going to elaborate later on. How do we get someone to react biblically to counsel and admonition? The letter will also give us wisdom in these matters. But I want you to notice how the apostle begins this letter. He begins with greeting, not with accusations. With a greeting, not with accusations. Now, this is, this is just not our tendency, is it? If someone has wronged us, or if we see injustice taking place, our first reaction is to launch our accusation missiles. But Paul is extremely tactful in his approach because he knows that if reconciliation is at all possible, it'll stem from, it'll find its genesis in, it will come from the fruit of the Spirit being expressed and manifested in the way this mediator acts here. What is the purpose of Paul? Paul is here a counselor. What is his purpose? His purpose, as we will see, the purpose you know quite well, is to restore Onesimus, who is the runaway slave, to restore Onesimus to his master. And this ought to provide a lesson for all of us here, that the first thing we do in confronting someone is to know what our end goal is. If you confront merely for the sake of confronting, you have lost the battle. We need to know what is our goal in confronting someone. Is our goal reconciliation, restoration? Or is our goal, or are the words that are going to be uttered from our mouths, is the goal more conflict? Because that can very easily happen. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. As imitators of Christ, this is our goal. Our goal in seeking reconciliation is that our words will have in mind that great telos, that great end, 
that we are seeking to bring brothers and sisters and brothers and brothers and sisters and sisters together in unity, in the unity of Christ Jesus our Lord. Now who is this letter for? The letter, Paul says, is to our beloved fellow worker. Look at Paul here. He's acknowledging that Philemon is a fellow worker. He could have said, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, that great scoundrel. That's not what he says. He could have said, to Philemon, that one who does not seek reconciliation but should. Or to Philemon, the one who does not grasp the gospel of grace and reconciliation. He doesn't say that. He talks about Philemon as a fellow worker, a fellow traveler. And even though Paul wants Philemon to act appropriately in this very delicate situation, which was very unique in the ancient world, he wants Philemon from the beginning to know that his status as a fellow worker is being acknowledged. Philemon, I am conversing with you. We're having this conversation as fellow brothers, as fellow ambassadors of peace, as those who are seeking the good of the city the good of those who are lost. He calls Philemon a fellow worker. Paul is saying essentially, Philemon, you have covenant obligations just as I have those covenant obligations. Your status is so exalted as a disciple of Christ that you are called to live as Christ-like as the Gospel gives you. Well, not only that, notice he also doesn't say to my fellow worker Philemon, he says, to my beloved fellow worker. The Greek word beloved comes from the very well-known Greek word agape. Probably the one Greek word that every Christian knows. Beloved. Paul asserts his love for his brother. He is building a case for how Philemon should act towards someone else. Beloved. He should act in love just as he was shown love. In fact, Philemon was probably converted through the ministry of Paul, so he ought to know even more intimately how the gospel works, how the gospel enters and interferes with our sinful tendencies. Look at verse 2. Paul mentions this letter is also to Aphia, our sister, who is universally acknowledged to be Philemon's wife. This is Philemon's wife Paul's addressing here. The letter is also addressed to Archippus, a fellow soldier. Look at this language here. Paul is consistently using this military language to describe the work of the gospel. We are, he is saying, brothers and sisters, co-warriors. Co-warriors in this gospel motif, in this gospel project. We are co-warriors for the gospel. One translation describes Archippus as comrade in arms. Now this letter, of course, is first and foremost to Philemon. But here's the reality of these first initial verses. No one, absolutely no one, lives in isolation. The Bible is always incorporating us into a larger Christian context, namely the context of the church. The letter is addressed, after all, to the church in the house. In Christ, we are united to the bride of Christ. We are united to His church. Baptism brings us into the larger context, into the larger community where there are obligations, responsibilities, and stipulations. So Paul concludes verse 2 by addressing this letter also to the church in Philemon's house. Now you know this quite well, but the early church, having no special buildings of its own, they met in private houses. The life 
of persecution kept them in homes, which in many ways build the intimate environment of a community. So when something as catastrophic as a fellow slave, a slave leaving the home, obviously this would become a central theme, a central point of discussion in these meetings here. Philemon is most certainly the pastor of this small house church in Colossae. And Paul's appeal is beyond the personal appeal to Philemon. Paul appeals not only to Philemon, but he appeals on behalf of the church. Be in oneness. Be at oneness with one another. Paul wants this reconciliation to serve as a model for how Christ's church should act towards one another. And Paul knows that there are already a great level of fragmentation created when Philemon's slave ran away. So he's attempting here to put their concerns to rest. He is attempting here in the midst of this chaotic scenario to strengthen their unity even in times of uncertainty. The journey to reconciliation. Not an easy one. And this is why Paul writes this letter from the beginning. Bathe in the grace of God. Look at finally verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to put the most and the greatest animosity imaginable at ease. This man is coming by grace through peace in the name of my God and Father, in the name of my Lord and Master. Certainly, he does not want my ill. Certainly, he does not seeking to bring havoc to this congregation, but he's seeking only the good and the well-being of this body. A very traditional greeting, but for Paul, this is not just a pious phrase or a throwaway remark. Hey, by the way, grace and peace to you. No, no. It is a means to restoring broken relationships. In Paul's mind, only, listen carefully, in Paul's mind, only a grace-shaped request will result in a grace-shaped response. And that is central to Paul's idea. What we see in these opening verses is that Paul is identifying himself the first element of a covenant, he identifies himself as the initiator of this covenant. He's going to mediate. He's going to work on behalf of these two estranged parties. He's going to set this agenda. He knows what end he has in mind. And so he's also going to set stipulations, as we'll see in future weeks, for how this, is all, this ought to unfold. You know, I'm quite aware that matters of reconciliation do not always have a happy ending. But at least what we see in Philemon is that when parties submit to the grace of God, to the peace of the gospel, and to his purposes, God is able to do abundantly more than we imagine. And we will see this unfold in this unlikely story of reconciliation. Paul not only draws us into this story, but he draws all of us nearer to Christ who reconciled us to Himself when we ran away. But even when we were far off from our Lord and Master, Christ ran the race ahead of us so that no matter where we were in our running, there was Christ pursuing and calling us home. This is the grace of the covenant. Give thanks, beloved. 
and rejoice in this truth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the full series, Philemon, The Application of the Covenant by Yuri Brito. Available now on Canon Plus. Plus.